This evening we shall discover your reasonable service, your reasonable service, looking at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Let's have a look at those verses now. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The Apostle Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good, and acceptable and perfect will of God. Up until now, in this epistle of the Apostle Paul to the Roman believers, we've by and large been considering the doctrine of justification by faith alone. For example, going all the way back to chapter 1, verse 16, and I've done that a few times as we've been going through this book, seems to be a very key verse Chapter 1, verse 16, it defined the gospel of Christ as being the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Do you ever think of the gospel like that? The power of God. And what is it it about the good news of Jesus that makes it powerful to save a person from his sin? The next verse has the answer, chapter 1, verse 17, where it says, Therein is the righteousness of God revealed. The epistle goes on to explain that all Jews and Gentiles alike have sinned, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's in chapter 3, verse 23. And consequently, the wages of sin is death. Chapter 6, verse 23. It's wages. It's what we deserve. We come into this world conceived, born sinners. And you know as well as I do, from a very young age, one thing that we're very good at is sinning. It comes naturally, doesn't it? No one has to teach us. From chapter 12 onwards, we shall look at the practical application of living your life clothed with the righteousness of God. In other words, being justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting in him alone for the forgiveness of all your sins. Look at verse 1 again. Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Right from the off in chapter 12, can you see how very different this is going to be from the thunderings of Mount Sinai that you read in Exodus, when God delivered the law to the Israelites of old through his servant Moses. What can be seen in verse 1 with Paul saying, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
is the language of grace towards the dearly loved children of God. Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, speaks to fellow Christians on equal terms here, calling them brethren. And what he is about to say with regards to Christian living is not in the form of a command, but rather it is an exhortation. I think we've got the wrong idea if we think of Christian Christianity as being a set of commandments. Do this, do that. Jesus has done it all, hasn't he? He's done it all. And we have that freedom now. Free to serve God. Free to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. And we see there Paul beseeching or urging us by the mercies of God. It is an appeal in view of God's tender mercies towards all brothers and sisters in Christ. We can so easily move on to the next verse without giving it the consideration that it deserves. The mercies of God, for example. What are these mercies of God? What does it actually mean, the mercies of God? I don't know about you, but I can think about that for the rest of the day quite easily. The the mercies of God, the manifestations of his pity, his compassion towards people like us, towards you, dear Christian. When we think of the mercies of God, how about this? How about we think along these lines? The fact that on your behalf the incarnate Son of God fulfilled the demands of the law that shows no mercy. You think of God's law, there's no mercy in God's law. It is a law <coughs> a law that blesses obedience and curses disobedience. Jesus, your righteousness, fulfilled the demands of the law on your behalf and at the cross he laid down his life as a sacrifice for your sin. Jesus rose from the dead and you, having been planted into his death, are raised up to newness of life, everlasting life. Now you are under grace, And you're not under the law. You are indwelt by and sealed with God the Holy Spirit who is the earnest of your heavenly inheritance. You have peace with God. You are reconciled to him. So much so that you now know God and address God as Father. The mercies of God, eh? You are no longer under condemnation. In fact, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ, your Lord. Do you see what I mean? I've just run through a little list there, but you could think, meditate upon those truths for the rest of the day, easily. No doubt there is much more that I have missed, especially when you consider that those who are in Christ Jesus, have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Every spiritual blessing. How many blessings is that? I don't know the answer to that. 
far more than I can imagine. Even so, I've listed enough for you to be able to see that the mercies of God can very easily consume your thoughts throughout the day and beyond. In view of God's mercy towards you, you are to present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God. Note that you are not to present your body as a dead sacrifice. You were dead in trespasses and sin, but now, by the grace of God, you are a new creature in Christ. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. As a born-again Christian, your body is to be consecrated to God. For example, when it comes to sexual immorality, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 through to 20, Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Have you ever thought of that before? Sinning against your own body? What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body, and in your spirit, which are God's. Again, you belong to God. More broadly, where Paul says, present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God, which is your reasonable service, he is referring to your whole being, body and soul, all that you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear Christian, you are to present your whole being, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Possibly you're squirming at this stage. You're thinking, well, how can I do that? Holy and acceptable unto God. Me? Especially given what Paul said in chapter 7, speaking about himself in chapter 7, but equally applicable to each one of us, he said in verse 18, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. That's Paul speaking. This was a man who had been a Christian and an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ for 30 odd years. And still he said, I know that in me that is in the flesh dwelleth no good thing. And yet, Paul, a few chapters on, is saying, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. What's going on here? When you look at chapter 7 and now you look at chapter 12. (laughs) 
what Paul is beseeching what Paul is beseeching you to do is not unreasonable. If it was, he wouldn't be doing it. So we have to understand what is going on here. How can we do what he is asking us to do there, urging us to do in verse 1? First of all, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy. You are holy. You are holy from the time you became a Christian. What else could you be as a Christian? As a child of the living God, a son, a daughter of the living God, a royal priest, a lively stone in a living, uh, in a holy temple, a spiritual temple, sanctified by the blood of Jesus that was shed at the cross. So if you are a Christian, you are holy because Christ has made you holy. And also you are indwelt by God, the Holy Spirit, who works in you to will and to do of God's good pleasure. We saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Also you are acceptable unto God in that you stand before him clothed in the righteousness of his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved you and who gave himself for you. So already you are holy, you are acceptable because God himself has made you holy and he has made you acceptable in his son Jesus Christ. As a living branch, savingly connected to the true vine, the Lord Jesus, it really is your reasonable service or your act of spiritual worship to present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God and to do so with your heart filled with gratitude and with praise for all that God has done for you and all that he continues to do for you day by day. May the words of the hymn writer be your prayer. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in endless praise. Let them take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Let's have a look at verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In verse 1, Paul presented a challenge to all who profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ with regards daily living. And now he tells us what should not be done and in, what should not be done and what should be done in order to reach that target of presenting your bodies living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. First of all, we have the what not to do. We'll look at the what not to do in verse 2. Paul says, be not conformed to this world. As a Christian, you of all people ought to know full well that the world lieth in wickedness. That's from 1 John chapter 5, 
and verse 19. That's hardly surprising when you consider that the devil is the god of this world. The world lieth in wickedness and we're not to be conformed to this world. We live in a world in which the kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel against the Lord, against his Christ, saying, let let, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. And what that means is that despite God placing upon us a duty to love him with our whole being, people nevertheless worship and adore created things instead. People worship and adore anything but God in this world, this wicked world. Also, despite God placing upon all of us a duty to love our neighbour as ourselves, our hatred for one another can be seen in the slaughter of approximately a quarter of all unborn babies. Can you imagine that? A quarter of all unborn babies are slaughtered, put to death. Despite God saying, love your neighbour as yourself. Coming back to the devil being the God of this world, Jesus said to certain unbelieving Jews, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. That's the God of this world, the devil. What Jesus said to those unbelieving Jews applies equally to all who are not trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. All those people are most certainly not presenting their bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. However, you Christians know full well that you have failed miserably. You Christians I'm speaking to now, you, I'm speaking to now, you know you have failed miserably to love God and your neighbour as you ought to, and so it is that by the grace of God, you are now trusting in Jesus, the one who has fulfilled the law's demands on your behalf. And to you, Paul is saying, be not conformed to this world. Likewise, the Apostle John says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In that verse, it can be seen that the mindset of the unbelieving world is to promote and gratify self rather than to live for the glory of God. That ought to be the difference between the believer and the unbeliever. A desire to glorify God in your born-again life. An earnest desire to do that which is pleasing to the great God and Saviour who loved you and who gave himself for you at Calvary's cross. And I'm not even saying that you now love God with your whole being, because you don't. You still don't. I don't. 
And I'm not saying that you now love your neighbour as yourself, because you don't. None of us do. But we trust in the one who did, who was a, who became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now for what you are to do, you are to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Back in chapter 6 and verse 6, Paul says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. When we looked at that verse, it was explained that now that Adam is no longer your head, dear Christian, and you are no longer governed by sin, the body of sin is being deprived of force. You know as well as I do, it's not dead and gone yet, but it is being deprived of, of its force. Starved of oxygen, if you like. Consequently, you no longer live to feed your ego or serve your own selfish and often sinful desires. Rather, you are focused upon God and your neighbour, esteeming others better than yourselves. There has to be some difference between what you are now and what you used to be. Why is that? Because you're a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That said, you will know from your own experience that there is still a lot of work to do in you when it comes to destroying sin or depriving it of its power. In fact, it is a work that will continue <coughs> continue until you die. As such, even the most pious Christians in the world are not without sin. That's for sure. And note... The work is performed not by you, but by God the Holy Spirit. Hence the words in verse 2, Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul does not say transform yourself. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. It is a, and it is a present and continuous work of God. That does not mean that you are to be entirely passive. For example, in his high priestly prayer, the Lord Jesus Christ said in John chapter 17 and verse 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The work of sanctification, which is ongoing and progressive, is achieved through the word of God. In other words, the Bible, which is truth. As you read the scriptures, the Holy Spirit guides you to all truth. And I'm reminded of the psalmist, Psalm 1, who meditates on the law of the Lord all day long. The law of the Lord is his delight. Reading the word of God, thinking about it, letting it drip into your soul, into your mind. Those same scriptures testify of Jesus. And as you read the word of God and meditate upon the word day and night, you will inevitably increase in holiness 
and in the knowledge of Jesus, who is the truth. The result is that you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind and you will be better equipped to live a life that is consecrated to God in this wicked and perverse generation. Let's just look at the opposite side of the, uh, the, the other extreme here. If you never open your Bible, you're not going to grow, are you, as a Christian? You're not going to grow in knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is there to meditate on day and night if you're not opening your Bible and reading it, prayerfully reading it, looking to the Holy Spirit to teach you, to guide you, to write that truth indelibly in your heart and in your mind? It'd be useless, wouldn't it? So we read the scriptures and we look to God to to renew us, to transform our minds. Finally, to what end are you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind? What's it all about? Why? The answer in verse 2 is that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Therefore, whilst the unbelieving world continues to disregard God's will as it willfully transgresses his holy and righteous laws, you are saved from your sin by the grace of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now you are being transformed by the renewing of your mind. So make it a priority to discern and do God's will as it is presented in the scriptures and written into your hearts and minds by the Holy Spirit. And to God be the glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.